Welcome to Rumor Flies, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. And I'm Ryan. No, you're not. Don't <laughs> don't you lie, you. Your voice isn't nearly as buttery as mine. Welcome to the ninth episode of season seven, and today we are going to be doing something. Yeah, we're going to be doing another history episode, and this one's going to be kind of juicy because we're going to be covering Ooh. Egyptian history, which we haven't gone this far back in a while. I know we did like some ancient war myths at one point, but I think uh, this is a bit further almost. I think, fun fact, e- none of us have been to Egypt. Nope, and I have not no, booked a ticket not. there yet, so... My, my sister, my brother, and my mom have been. Why didn't they bring you? Um, all different occasions. Oh, really? They didn't go together. So they didn't go together. So it's three times you weren't invited. <laughs> my mom and my brother. Nice. My mom and my brother went one time. And my sister Lauren just went there with her husband like a month ago. Damn. They're oh, wow. at Leon right now. So yeah, anyway, that's like, yeah, I've never been. I have a few family members who have. Uh, so ancient Egypt goes into a very long, deep history. Because what was that statistic? Like the time between Cleopatra and King Tut was something like the time between us no, no. So it's the time between us. No, the time between us and Cleopatra is closer than yeah. she is to the construction of the pyramids. Yes, that's what it is. Which is going to play a big factor in this episode today because we are going to be covering. Um, it's going to be a widespread of stuff. I'd say some a little bit more controversial than the others, but at the same rate, it's all very interesting, and we're going to do our absolute best as non-historians. Well, at least me and Josh as non-historians to cover this <laughs> appropriately. <laughs> Suck uh, it, Greg. This is definitely. I will say Egypt is one hundred percent a blind spot. I did not take any courses in college on ancient Egypt. I was much more in Russia and the Americas. So, unfortunately, I do not have that deep well to draw from that, you know, 80% of which you forget. I will (laughs) edit all of what you just said out, so it seems like you're going to be more professional than us on this. (laughs) Oh, no. Anyway, yeah, hopefully I can do some good work here. But it is important, like you said, Egypt has a really long history, like super long history. It's like saying... um, uh, what Rome? was the best? Yeah, it's like I was gonna say, I was gonna say Rome. Yeah, like what was the best or what was the fashion of Rome? Like, well, which century? Like, it's a very, it's a very, very long period of time. And not only that, so, yeah. which part of Rome? Because it was so big. Yeah, and Egypt's very was like a really large empire and has thousands of years of histories under dynasties. It's absurd. It's got a very, very rich, long history. Yeah. Uh, so, Greg, do you want to start us off? Why not? Okay. So, is it, well, I was going to say, is it bullshit because of our Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I listened to the rest of that, and I would like to do a currency myths as well. As long as we That'd can get so the rapper like, currency oh, I was gonna to say, sit down with us and talk about actual, like, you know, U.S. and other countries' currency. amazing. Oh, I was asking. I would love to hear his, uh, uh, his argument about the gold standard. If anybody <laughs> knows currency, <laughs> he lives near us. He is our hometown hero. He's bringing back that Bud's Boiler on City Park Avenue. God bless him. Yes. Uh, so, please, if you know currency... Hit us up and hit him up and tell him we're really cool dudes. Uh, we already think he's a really cool one, so you don't need to explain to us about him. So just, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Greg, continue. What's your topic? You're totally fine. So my topic is cats were treated as gods. You know, is it a myth? So I remember this from this Doug. Was actually, yeah. It's all over the place. I mean, this yeah. is video games. It's jokes and Doug. It's Jo- it's it's uh, even uh, Rugrats did that, right? So, uh, yes, I have another Rugrats. My Ma- the Maccababies and no, really? Angelica had her cat. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing: cats already see themselves as gods. So this is why it's not a hard stretch to imagine this. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> so this whole first section I'm going through. Uh, this isn't a super long one, but there's a lot of interesting stuff behind this. So. My two main sources for this one um, are the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Smithsonian uh, website. I've got some other stuff here, but the, this this following section mainly comes from there. They basically say that around 1500 BCE, for those you don't know, BC versus AD, uh, in history we or other academic fields, we say Common Era and before Common Era. Exact same year structure, though. So around 1500 BCE, uh, that's around when cats were domesticated, right? So that's important for understanding when this happened and how it grew up. So I, I, I have a question. I looked up some other sources. What was that? I have a question. Sure. What cats? Are we talking like lions? Leopards? No, no. Cats as we know them currently. They they haven't changed that much since then. Okay. Uh, I'm sure they're... I didn't look up uh, what species specifically. Well, right, they right. domesticated it. But I, I mean like but, your run-of-the-mill house cat versus a bobcat. I yeah. would dare to venture... Is shown. I would dare to venture a sphinx cat might be involved in that. Sure. I think it's a good educated so, guess there. 
a basically though that around 1500 to 2000 BCE, depending on the sources you look at, I'm sure they all disagree on it, but somewhere in that range is when cats were formally domesticated. Around this time, we see the rise of the myth of, or not myth, the worship of Bastet or Bast. Uh, it's the okay. ancient Egyptian goddess that looks like a lion and then later a cat. The sto- so the story behind Bast is that she was the daughter of Re, the sun god. Re? Uh, Re was <laughs> <laughs> nice. Re was angry with humanity, so he sent Bast to put them in their place. Um, some of y'all might uh, recognize Bast. I'm p- pretty sure Black Panther uh, is around Bast, right? Eh? I think Black Panther actually has is it's uh I might be mixing up. I thought no, it's not. It's another bee god. I'm sorry, I am mixing it up. They're not I thought they might be playing with Egyptian lore, but I'm gonna roll that back. That's not the the god in that is not the actual Black Panther. It's fine. It's not called Bust. Well I was so, I was gonna say that's that's more of a Jacks of Trades question <laughs> than a rule yeah, of yeah, question. Right? So basically Resent Bass down to put humanity in their place. None of the articles I could find really explained why he was bad. He just had some beef with us and thought that we were too big for our britches is basically what I got, that we were like, uh, we were just arrogant. He right? was a bastard. Ah. There you go. Well, this here's gag. here's my thing. Do you blame him? Because I don't. <laughs> there you go. Well, here's where the story gets interesting. So Bast was is also depicted as a lion, right? So mm-hmm. Bast was too violent and effective. And Ree was like, whoa, bro, slow down. Well, I guess, hey, girl, slow down. <laughs> too much murder and pain, basically. And he couldn't get her to stop. Her bloodlust couldn't be satiated. So he goes to her with red beer quotes. I don't know what that means. I don't know why it's called red beer, but I keep seeing red beer. It was a Flanders. It was a Flanders red. Well, that's what I was like, I was like, it can't literally be a red ale. But anyway... <laughs> Um, he nice. plies her with red beer to make her drowsy and to satisfy her bloodlust simultaneously. Basically, he gets his daughter super drunk. She passes out. And once she's calm, she morphs from a lion into a cat because she's now docile. Oh, ah. so blood beer works. That's what it is. It's beer brewed with blood then somehow. Maybe so. Maybe just um, add a little bit to it. That actually is probably the best answer I've heard, to be honest. <laughs> You're going to hear so folks on Rumor Flies. <laughs> it was a go. Bloody Mary. It was a Bloody Mary. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so basically, uh, Bass represented is represented as a woman with a cat's head. Uh, Bastet also carries an ancient percussion instrument called the sistrum in her right hand, which I looked up. A sistrum is... A Greek seistron or seistron, S-E-I-S-T-R-O-N. It's a percussion instrument, something like that. (laughs) It's a percussion instrument that makes a rattle consisting of wood, metal, or clay frames set loosely with crossbars, often hung up with jingles, that make sounds like it makes ringing noises and jingling sounds when it's shaking. Like a tambourine? It's this percussive, shaky metal instrument, right? So it's a tambourine maraca to some degree. Yeah. Kind of. That's that's a good description. So she's calling that in her right hand. uh, And a breast, wears a breastplate. Uh, Sometimes it has the head of a lioness on it. Hmm. And that's, and she carries a small bag over her left arm. So question here. Is she the original Thundercat then? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So it, essentially that this means that cats were seen as kind of a reverence thing in reference to her at that yeah. point, or is well, it like that's what any cat could about, be her? Right? So, so this, this cult pops up, right? And there's cults in Memphis and there's other, other cities in Egypt that are all dedicated to Memphis. People would give little, offerings. Little clarification. I assume you mean cult in the sense of just like a religious sect, not in the way we see yeah, cults today. Yeah, cults are like, they, they have an, it's, it's not even as much a sect, right? Because they're all still, it would be like calling a, a priesthood a cult. Yeah, I right? mean, yeah, essentially okay. most that, religions that here are cults. They're just very large cults. And that's not right. saying it in a derogatory way. That's just in the classical term of what a cult was. Yeah, a cult's like a particular devotion. So someone might be, they might be a cult of the sun god, a cult of the god of death, a cult of this, right? So there's several big name cults in like Memphis and other cities in Egypt, all dedicated just to Bast. People would wear amulets and wear all this different jewelry with images of cats. Uh, they would often bury people with bronze statuettes of Bast. So this is where it gets kind of interesting, though. So this thing, this kind of this myth around it, this religion that built out, and 
the Smithsonian article actually says that it's, quote, a mistake to imagine that the Egyptians worshipped cats. Hmm. So the article says, instead, the connection between felinity and divinity, I love that, by the way, um, the relationship between felinity and divinity derived from a careful observation of the way these animals comported themselves. What they were actually doing was associating cats to specific deities because of their attitude, how they're behaving <laughs> in a natural world. They're all assholes. Everything had a... Yep. Everything had a meaning. A cat protected the house from mice, or it might just be to, um, or it might just protect kittens. These were attitudes that were attributed to a specific goddess. So Bas was just this uh, virtue token, right? It was this way of explaining different ways of being because Bas could come in different forms, okay. like they were saying, the examples they give. I think that kind of rings true to this. I might get, you know, uh, wiped for this, but the thing is that. Um, that th- reminds me of like a certain aspect of Hinduism too, like even practice today where there's a certain reverence for cows in Indian culture in some spots, uh, not because naturally they are seen as gods, but with a heavy connection to a God that is associated with a cow. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. It's, it's like, Good it's point. like a cross in Christianity. It's, it's, it's a symbol. Uh, it might, it's not a perfect analogy, but the idea is that, you know, it's, it's not that people are actually worshiping a cross, it's it's God. A sense right? of reverence, just the same way that, like, you know, people are scared to even throw out an old crucifix, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And so it's, like, kind of a sacred and it's a virtue system. And there's there's one last thing I like to read because it's actually just kind of a fun source I found. One of the first ones that hit, and it makes a lot of sense. Kids National Geographic. Hmm. Oh, I didn't so even I think about checking like, the kids one. Yeah, the Kids Nat Geo. And I was like, okay, let me take a look at this. I actually want to see what their Egypt thing is. And it's very short. It's obviously built for like uh, kids you know, in, in grammar school who are doing projects on history. And their teacher's like, I want you all to go Google Egypt. And Nat Geo has this little three-paragraph thing about it. So like my, my reading level is on par with this, right? Yeah, you got this, dog. <laughs> so... I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's very short. It's just like this one little page and you move on. Like, that's Egypt. Ancient Egyptians worshipped many animals for thousands of years. Animals were revered for different reasons. Dogs were valued for their ability to protect and hunt, but cats were thought to be the most special. Egyptians believed cats were magical creatures capable of bringing good luck to the people who housed them. To honor these treasured pets, wealthy families dressed them in jewels and fed them treats fit for royalty. When the cat died, they were mummified. As a sign of mourning, the cat owners shaved off their eyebrows and continued to mourn until their eyebrows grew back. Hmm. Now, that was very interesting to me because yeah. no one had that in any of their stuff. I see, Our, aside from the mummification, nothing has changed. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting. Like, it's, it's just kind of a fun little, like, there's another little section to it. But, I mean, that's that was half the article. Like, so it's just this... It's always kind of a fun source. I'll have it in the show notes. And I actually end up thumbing through Kids Nat Geo because you always get really interested in how larger things, complex things, all we're taught in history is deep dive, like unpack the narrative. There's so much to it. Everything's so complex. And they have to distill all of that into like 300 words. Kids National it's, Geographic, your source for snack size facts. Seriously. That's actually pretty good. That's actually really good. I mean, I, I should write for them, <laughs> I think. I have the intelligence Done. of a kid. <laughs> you, you good? So that's uh, about it. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say that it's true. Uh, it, it depends on what you mean by worshipped, but yes, revered at the very least. Yeah, definitely. They were very significant. Uh, so I have one question before we move on. Mm-hmm. Is that like the basis of the Khajiit in Skyrim? I highly doubt Ooh. it. I mean, I would say the basis for Khajiit in Skyrim would be. I mean, there's a couple of cat. But, diff- you, but you have, a, but but Basset has is the statue of a woman with a cat's head. I mean, it's completely possible. It's just, yeah. I mean, okay. Let's say yeah. Let's just go with yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I I want to be right, so I'm fine with that answer. Your penalty shot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're on a history episode. We're all getting penalty shots. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm surprised we haven't had a whole bunch of uh, like posts on our bad history just involving us. <laughs> that's fair. Um, we Josh. should post ourselves. <laughs> Yeah. You want to take over the next one? Sure. Okay. First topic I will be covering is all about crocodile dung and how it was supposedly used as a form of birth control. So this is very touchy for me to get into. First thought. Yeah. <laughs> it kills you. So yes, you cannot give birth if you're dead. You know, Ryan, that's a fair point. 
I can't really argue that. Aside from Guts's mother in the in the manga Berserk, of course, you weeb. <laughs> uh, so before we get into this too much, I'm going to assume that I don't have to explain what birth control is to everyone. I think that's a fair assumption. But I do want to briefly touch on how it actually works, though. So and and I'm just going to be going after the birth control pill because that is the most popular form of contraceptive uh, that everybody knows about. So the birth control pill works by stopping sperm from joining with the egg, which is called fertilization. I'm sure everybody's on board here. So to just briefly reiterate, like I've mentioned before in this podcast, um, I do have a son, so I have had sex. So check that box for you. Uh, no. <laughs> yes, we said you have a fuck receipt. Yes, no. thank you. I Jesus. I still love that. Uh, the hormones in the pill stop ovulation. And no ovulation means that there is not an egg hanging around for a sperm to fertilize. So pregnancy, I'm going to be very loose with the with this term, can't happen. That's not, it's not supposed to. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was going to get to that. The pill's hormones also thicken the mu- mucus on the cervix. So this thicker cervical mucus blocks the sperm so it can't swim into an egg, kind of like a sticky security guard, if you will. So, again, we're not doctors. I won't sit here and say that pregnancy is completely impossible if you're on birth control. It is just highly unlikely, but it is not completely foolproof. I wanted to mention that before we get a swarm of emails stating anything differently than what I just said. Um, You know, it's like my mama always said, abstinence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Now, (laughs) did ancient Egyptians use crocodile poop as a form of birth control? And the answer is yes. Yes, they did. There are, there are documents of ancient Egyptian women dating back to about 1850 BC. And this is referring to this method of this particular form of contraception. Crocodile dung is actually, um, it's, it's slightly alkaline. Okay, here's what I was going to ask. Why crocodiles? I'm, I'm yeah, getting there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crocodile dung is, is slightly alkaline. So it's like a modern day spermicide. So it, it actually could have worked. And spermicides are a different form of birth control than the pill or um, like a IUD. IUD, that's the phrase, the letters I'm looking for, or the, the NuvaRing or anything like that. And spermicides have chemicals in them that stop the sperm from actually reaching the egg. You put it into your... Vagina. Vagina. Yeah, I'm just going to use that word for sex to prevent pregnancy. And it prevents pregnancy from two ways. Blocking the entrance to the cervix so sperm can't get into the egg and stopping sperm from moving well enough to swim to the egg. So by putting crocodile dung inside of there, what you are basically preventing is the sperm actually making its way to the egg itself. Now, the question arises... Is it actually the crocodile dung that's preventing it, or is it the fact that you're putting something in there to prevent it? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I just know that now thinking about it, technically an Egyptian pharmacist from around 1800 BCE, part of his job description included hanging out in the Nile, watching crocodiles, and waiting for one of them to take a dump. Yes. So uh, that, that, that is inside the job description. So while... It does have some properties that make it like a spermicide. It might have been also the fact that when two people are having sex, that you're sticking your penis inside of crocodile dung, which would, I'm imagining, not a very fun thing to do. I mean, I imagine, you know, birth rates were, you know, low with that, but also death rates were probably high, too, from infections. Yeah. But, you know, it just it's one of those amazing things to me. Like when I think to myself, like, why crocodiles? Why that specific thing? Like I've said this before in of all places, who found out specifically that aloe, if you rub it on some sort of cut, it has some medicinal properties to right. it, even if I'll be in a little bit. Right. Um, who decided you could smoke this plant as opposed to this one and have a real good fucking time? Or who like, decided to pull on some udders and drink whatever comes out of it? Well, I mean, that's uh, that is a that's a real question. I know. I think that was the easiest one. Well, yeah, but 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 it, somebody had to go through that thought process, though. Well, that little calf is, you know, sucking some milk. I can suck some of that milk, too. That's what he thought. I mean, I've... it's really the person that decided that. Why is that otter eating a rock? I want to eat it, too. Yeah, that's also fair. So while crocodile dung itself does have some some 
properties. That's the word I'm looking for. Some properties of it that could make it a spermicide. I, I, I'm just me imagining it, it here and my own opinion. The reason why it was effective is because it was preventing the, it has a physical barrier of preventing the sperm from actually entering into the egg to be fertilized. So it's kind of hard for me to sit here and say, yeah, it's completely true. But I would imagine that it's mostly true. I would say it's true for the fact that they used it as a contraceptive. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it was a very effective contraceptive. Right. That's what they used it as. And that's what I was kind yeah, of looping back around to. If the myth is the ancient Egyptians used it as a contraceptive, then, well. It's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And that one was kind of quick, uh, quick and easy. But I, I thought it was worth mentioning. And it was... It was really fascinating because they they also used other things like honey and other plants uh, as a form of contraception as well, which I didn't dig into too much because I was just mostly focusing on the crocodile dung because that that is the way more fascinating uh, aspect of this this rumor or myth or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, so it wasn't that it was just crocodile dung, but that was probably the more popular contraceptive use back in that time. Okay, cool. Uh, So moving on. Here comes my hot topic of the night, and I have a couple of things to say. Uh, number one, uh, here's where all of my pronunciations go out the fucking window. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, nice. so I apologize for any names that I may, you know, bungle. But I will also say that, did you know that most of the romanizations of Egyptian words, like old Egyptian words, have like no fucking vowels? Yeah. I don't get why. I don't get how you say all that stuff. So that's going to be another thing. And thirdly, uh, this podcast is not now sponsored by Stormfront. And I'm going to say this up front at the moment. Uh-oh. This topic sounds more controversial than it is. But just hear me out. I'm going by the books. I am not a Holocaust denier. I'm going to say that up front. Okay. Jesus Christ, what is going on? I'll get to it, okay? What we're going to talk about tonight is whether the Great Pyramids of Giza were built by slaves, and to be more specific, Jewish slaves. So this is a big part of uh, the Jewish tradition and faith. And then there's faith. uh, Trust in pixie dust? So there was a good video that I saw that said there's a difference between tradition, (laughs) faith, and history. And all three of them, when viewed through a different frame say three different things, all to varying degrees. Now, I will say that this is ingrained in my head of, like, the Jews building the pyramids because of another Nickelodeon show, Rugrats. Uh, There was a scene with Angelica being the pharaoh. And and Tommy Pickles as Moses. Yeah, and then Chucky building a pyramid upside down. But it showed, like, you know, him as a (laughs) Jew building a pyramid. He did. Uh, And then I, I still think that's, like, as us all being, you know, traditionally... Uh, Christian boys uh, from the South, all of our Jewish knowledge was based on Rugrats, I think. I can't really argue that. I, I mean, up until high school where I learned a little bit, I just, it was all Rugrats all the way down. Yeah. I, I had experienced a little bit of stuff. I, ha- I had a close friend when I was really young who was Jewish, so we did like Passover stuff and Lotkeys and all that. I mean, it was all super fun. It was all basic, basic, basic kid stuff, but I was exposed to it at a younger age. Cool. Well, you have extra. Look at the culture Frenchman. Yes, uh, so moving on. Uh, the, the Great Pyramids of Giza, better known as the Pyramid of Khufu, or Khufu, Khafre, and uh, Menkare. So I'm just going to say it like that. That's the last time I'm going to say two of those pyramids. <laughs> Millie could be talking about the one built by Khufu. These are pretty iconic, as you have seen. It's, if you look up the word Egypt uh, in Google, you will probably get one of two things. A picture of the Great Pyramids. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, three things. A sarcophagus. Yeah. Or a picture of the Sphinx. And the Sphinx is right next to the Great Pyramid. So it's kind of like a twofer. So these were built from around uh, 2550 BCE to 2490 BCE. So with their uh, dimensions and sheer amount of labor that went into them, that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Uh, And some of them were built within the span of 10 years some people would uh, ballpark it at, which is just ridiculous. Um, so let me stop right here. It wasn't the aliens. It, I'm going to say this right now. There were no aliens involved. <laughs> People like to undercut humanity's accomplishments, whether they be through horrendous means or not. Humans still did it. This, this is literally the thing today. You're saying that they undercut people's achievements. It's so funny. 
the episode Jack to Trajus released today, not forcing this, I promise. Mike had a whole rant about this because the comic they read had a huge ancient aliens bend to it. Yeah. And he got into a whole thing about how it's like, it's totally, first of all, he said it's arrogant because we just think they can't do it because we're so much better and have progressed so much further. But we are. But he actually had a really interesting argument that he said he thinks part of it has to do with the rise of atheism because hmm. people who are more religious have uh, are, are going to tend to be okay with the story as is. Right. It's like it's like a belief more even if God intervenes or something, it's like they don't jump to aliens or or that it's all bullshit. I don't know. It was a very interesting kind of uh, assessment of that tendency. Like, why is the ancient alien things come up so much? Something that I will say is I was a giant freak about all that stuff when I was a kid uh, up until about 14 or 15, maybe. And then I started getting a little bit separated from it. I mean, you can see by us doing this show a little bit about lifting the veil on what really may have happened or just getting a better view that we understand now. And from that, I can say, Eric Von Daniken, I used to love you, but now you can go fuck. So um, <laughs> that's, so, I'll leave it at that. So, Ryan, you're saying that around 14, 15, you got woke? I, I, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> so um, this whole thing about the slaves build, building the pyramids, it has been a widely accepted thing until relatively recently. Actually, I would say very recently. Uh, and the guy from the Western perspective that kind of started this idea was somebody named Herodotus, the father of history and also sometimes called the father of lies by people like Plutarch. Uh, he is likely the first person to record, uh, like non-Egyptian to record, like, you know, uh, talk of the construction of the pyramids, you know, speaking of subjugated Egyptians being forced to build uh, for Cheops, who is also Khufu, Khufu is his name. It's either Cheops or Khufu, uh, that, you know, some subjugated Egyptians specifically built these his pyramid. Um, and he described that in his book, The Histories. Uh, he lived, however, from about 484 to 425 BCE, and the pyramids, like I said, were built about 2550 BCE to 2490, so there's a little bit of a gap between that interpretation right there. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but yeah. Okay. And he, there's a couple of problems with it. Number one, uh, once again, there's about a 2,000-year gap from him recording that to them actually being built. Secondly, he is extremely well-known for, let's just say, um falsifying some information or maybe exaggerating a little bit. He's a liar. Or pretending that he was at places that he never actually was. Um, A lot of his claims are wildly inaccurate. Uh, Some examples are the 100 gates of Babylon, which he said were in Babylon, like Babylon the behemoth. It's actually, by our historical records, there are only about eight gates of Babylon. Still impressive, <laughs> but eight versus 100, I think it's a little bit of a giant step. Yeah. Speaking of giants, he also believed that there were giant ants in Persia, giant golden ants that burrowed and like made like little golden plumes. That's uh, terrifying. That, that people collected. And they, yeah, and they ate camels. Uh, However, they found not, out recently... Not on this podcast, they don't. They're, no, they don't. Yeah, we got to protect them. <laughs> uh, the closest interpretation was recently in the, I think, 19th or 20th century when a French explorer found some golden-looking marmot, marmots, which are generally just like land beavers, uh, like in Persia. <laughs> but they do not eat camels as far as we know. And most importantly, the reason why people think that Herodotus is full of shit in this is because... In all that talk of the pyramids, he never mentioned the Sphinx, which definitely was there around the time he was that he would have been there. And for the record, the Sphinx is right fucking next to the pyramids, and it is just as imper- like just as impressive to mention. He probably just thought it was okay. Yeah, he just thought it was not worth talking about. Probably. I've seen a better cat person statue. Um, so <laughs> now here's where it gets a little bit touchy. There were indeed slaves in Egypt. At different times. Uh, once again, we're talking about a period that's spanned all the way from like, you know, about 3000 BCE at, you know, being generous. It's hard to say when the Egyptian kingdoms, you know, really started or ended because there's still Egyptians there. It's not like the whole thing was wiped out, you know, uh, and it went all the way up to the Roman times even. I mean, Cleopatra. So the thing about that is that during the New Kingdom is when slaves were so prominent and this was around the 1300s to 1400s to 15 uh, sorry 1300s to 1400s BCE when they started uh, being generous 
And once again, the pyramids were built in 2550. That's when they started. So that's a big gap between when slavery was a big prominent economical thing towards when the pyramids were built. Now, let's talk about... Oh my God, I almost said the Jewish question. We are not going to do that. Once again, I understand (laughs) that this is a very big thing in the Jewish faith is the story of Exodus. But we're going to talk about this from the historical standpoint and just go by whatever historical documentation that we have. Now, let's talk about the tradition versus the faith. A lot of people believe that the Jewish people were subjugated by the Egyptians and were forced to build the pyramids. Let's go ahead and nip that in the bud first. This is going from a traditional standpoint. We're going to reference the only mention of the subjugation, well, the first mention, rather, Uh, But the only specific one, and that is from Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, and I will read it now. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for for Pharaoh. Just Pharaoh, not the Pharaoh. For Pharaoh as an actual name. Uh, Well, do you know why they call him just Pharaoh? Why? Because it is a term of endearment. Like, like you, they were believed to be a god. I'll get to that. And, and I will cover a little bit of it too. I'll get to that. I thought you were setting up for a great pun to be like, because he wasn't great. I though. was waiting for it too. I, it I saw the bullshit. look. I saw the look Ryan gave I me. I really they, thought you were going to drop a mean pun. <laughs> Ryan looked at me like, don't you fucking dare. Don't you do it. <laughs> Continuing. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and, and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So if you notice something, that sort of talks about their specific duties. It said that they made them build cities, not pyramids. Right. I was going to ask about that. Because likely the pyramids are already there. Mm-hmm. Because Exodus was placed historically, what, from what people would say, you know, the biblical version of Egypt. Uh, to be around the 14th or 15th century, the New Kingdom, as I uh, had said before, which is nearly a thousand years after the pyramids were completed. So first we have your traditional standpoint, which is completely out the window, even by the religious text view. Um, Now getting to the actual, like, biblical view of it, there is no evidence suggesting a mass subjugation of Jews in historical records. Uh, And I say mass subjugation. Uh, the friendliest historical view to the Bible that is like there is a multi-ethnic group of people from the Levant called uh, Habiru, not Hebrew, uh, that could have compromised people that could have later become Israelites. Um, and some of the Habiru were indeed enslaved by Egyptians, but not in the numbers stated in Exodus. We're talking about a million plus people leaving in Exodus and all of one ethnicity. Uh, slaves were taken from all sorts of different sources, conquests, um, just general city-states that they may have found and they need to keep in check. They, keep, they take a few slaves in order to, you know, kind of just have this show of power of don't cross us or more of this will happen to you. But there were nothing that was seen as the modern-day Israelite or even for that time that was seen to be uh, subjugated and enslaved en masse. Now, here's where it gets turned on his head a little bit. And once again, I am not trying to do anything against Jewish people. We're just talking about the facts of did they build the pyramids. The earliest historical record of Jews in Egypt was from something called the Elephantine Papyri. Uh, papyri? Papyri? Papyri, that's the word. Papyrus Papyri. The Elephantine Papyri, which mentioned a Jewish garrison in 650 BCE assisting Egypt in defense against the Nubian conquest. So they weren't enslaved, they were friendlies. Yes, it was a loose uh, alliance. alliance, yes. And uh, this is nearly 2,000 years after the pyramids were finished. Uh, it also, oddly enough, mentions the fact that they were uh, they had a temple in Egypt, which is, according to most like you know Jewish texts at some point, you could not build a temple outside of Jerusalem. Yeah. Or outside of uh, Israel. And huh. not only that, one of the most specific things in the... Uh, uh, papyri was mention of a family of a Jewish man and his wife who happened to have been formerly an Egyptian slave. So if they were enslaved, there's no way that they owned other slaves, especially of the area that they are being enslaved by. At least not in this time. Right. So these Egyptians were seen in a higher regard uh, from, you know, just being slaves. They were able to own slaves in Egypt at this point. And it was a practice that everybody did. We understand that. But at the same rate, 
it's just um, kind of like a flipping on its head of that understanding. Uh, lastly, Josh, as you said, with Pharaoh, with the endearment. Uh, yes, if you notice that we have people that were considered kings, and then we have Pharaoh specifically. And the first use of Pharaoh was uh, Pharaoh known as Inkanaten, which was around 1360 BCE, which was around the time of the New Kingdom when Exodus happened. Huh. And the pyramids were built when they were still called kings. So that also has that disconnect from the pyramids being built to the Jews building the pyramids as slaves. I'm, I'm glad you get into this because uh, that also pops up in my, my topic, my last topic. And I didn't really get into this, so I'm really glad that it's going to act as a really nice segue to make my It's more good palatable. to lay some groundwork. Yeah. Uh, now to go all the way back to Herodotus talking about Egyptian slaves building the pyramids. This is the recent development that is actually quite interesting. In 1990, a Taurus is riding a horse or a camel. Depend- I was, was going to say, they're riding a camel. Not riding yeah, a depending on the story that you're looking at, was riding a horse or a camel by the Great Pyramids of Giza. Uh, the Great Pyramid is of Khufu. The other ones are just the Pyramids of Giza. And they tripped over a wall that turned out to be a tomb. Later digs in the 2000s revealed, and this was done by the leader Zahi Hawass, who was um, the lead uh, Egyptologist of Egypt, and then the whole Egyptian revolution happened, and uh, he was good friends with Mubarak, so he got ousted for a bit, but now he's back. Um, These later digs revealed a series of tombs by these walls that held the bodies of craftsmen right by the pyramids. And these tombs had notes of the workers' hierarchical structures were like literally just like uh, builders' teams and like just like this certain team was delegated to this group of people and then this person was over was overlooking this group of people but they were all seen as craftsmen and workers and they had these structures along with food shipment receipts and they said that each wait, day wait t- so that's the first noted example of like a foreman no i mean it's not <laughs> the first one it's a there but yes it's proof of foreman's back then yeah wow and also these groups of 10,000 roughly were sent shipments of cattle daily and sheep. And it was something like 21 cattle and 23 sheep. And that is not slave food. That is like kind of that's um, like upper, royalty. That, that's middle class stuff right there at the very least. And also, why isn't the, why aren't these slaves? Because their closeness to the pyramids, according to most Egyptologists, suggested that they were seen as something much below something as lowly, sorry, much higher than something as lowly as slaves, but actually respected craftsmen. And these people were given like, I mean, they had like arthritis, tons of like work-related deaths, fractured heads. Like it seems like these people were given honorary burials by their main achievement. If they were slaves, they would have been less ceremoniously buried unless it was some other situations. Because I think Josh might get into this a little bit more, but there were different types of slaves in Egypt. There were, you know, chattel slaves, which are just seen to be like the lowest of the low. Then there were slave laborers. There were debtor slaves, blah, blah, blah. There was like a hierarchy. Down the much. line, yes. Yeah. There were different types. But none of those fit the the qualification of being built in the shadow of the pyramids. And this was only confirmed roughly, and the articles came out around like 2010 or 2011. So our historical view of the pyramids being built is actually um, – a completely different thing. And you know what? I wouldn't mind doing a bonus episode about how the pyramids were actually built. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think that would be fun. Mm. Uh, so the more accepted theory on a last note about how the pyramids were built and who built them specifically, aside from just, oh, it was craftsmen that weren't slaves, is pretty cool. They believe that it was kind of like a public works project where... Really? In a sense, where farmers and peasants would come and help build the pyramids in their off-season for their specific crops when flooding or drought was not allowing them to be able to grow their crops. So instead, they go find other, like, you know, sources of income or, you know, just general sustenance by building the pyramids. Side hustle. Yeah, a side hustle, a side grind. (laughs) So um, I really hope that I didn't offend anybody with talking about that. It's really just looking at the historical lens of it and what evidence we have. There was the historian Josephus that mentioned it, but once again, he tried to conflate uh, one group called the Hyksos with the Israelites, which isn't necessarily true in the most clear of senses. Um, I do acknowledge that, but I really didn't want to get too deep into it. Um, But Josephus is also the guy they referenced to be the one that uh, recorded Jesus as a historical figure as well. So there's some controversy between him as well. Uh, So... uh, That's me and the pyramids being built by slaves. I would say on most accounts, no. 
as far as we know right now, our understanding is no, it was actually skilled craftsmen. Side hustle. Yes. Side hustle farmers or skilled craftsmen. Um, Who's next? Josh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will be talking for my last topic. And this is also about slaves. And there was a belief that slaves were buried with their pharaoh. Again, not not a particular person, but pharaoh himself, which we kind of covered briefly. And the thought about this is utterly terrifying to me. I mean, imagine working for your boss who retires and then his slash her entire staff is laid off and lose their jobs because more like laid down. Well, I'm trying to make it relatable. But yeah, that also works, too. It's kind of petty if you ask me if that what if one person retires, the whole staff leaves as well. I mean, just think about it that way. One pharaoh dies. So every person that is associated with that pharaoh also dies as well. Imagine a president's administration having to go once he dies, whether it be an office or not. Yeah. Or like the entire senatorial staff once you know one of them passes away. That's exactly what I was actually going to bring up. That's terrifying. We would be voting all the time. That's draining the swamp right there, buddies. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But so did this actually happen? Was this a real thing? Well, yeah, it did. And there is a specific term for this. And the correct term is known as ancient Egyptian retainer sacrifices. I like to call it fucked. (laughs) That's also acceptable. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. So the thing about this here, it wasn't an all the time practice that occurred all throughout Egyptian history. Like it's been portrayed in movies and uh, just other various forms of media. Egyptian history is very long. So once again, yes, I'm glad we kind of did that in the beginning. It was only about a 200-year period where this is actually really recorded from about 31,000 B.C. to 29,000 B.C., and it eventually died out. Ha, 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 pun intended. Okay. Yeah. The logic at the time was that when a pharaoh or some other high court nobility died, their their servants were killed to continue serving them in the afterlife. And what you have to remember, which I'm sure most people are familiar with, Ancient Egyptians, as well as many other cultures at the time, and even some to this day, they believed that there was an afterlife. And specifically with the Egyptians, it was called the Ka. And after they died, the Ka would continue to live their life as they did, except in the afterlife. The catch here was that they needed a body to return to, hence the mummifying of the corpses. So that's where mummifying comes from. So it's more like, hey, I'm, I'm moving to this company. I'd really like you to go with me. You're a very good employee. Yeah, that's actually a really great way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, when, when I change jobs, you all change jobs with me. I leave this podcast, the podcast comes with me. <laughs> Since they would enjoy many of the same activities, I'm talking about the car here. Since they would enjoy many of the same activities in the afterlife as they did when they were alive, they needed people to serve them. Hence the whole killing the servants thing that happened. Now, Egyptologists were able to tell that retainer sacrifices occurred at the time of death of the pharaoh, but not specifically right when the pharaoh died. So when the pharaoh or other high court members um, were placed in the tomb, they were able to tell that when they died, their bodies actually died before these sacrifices, pretty much. And the sacrifices, it was numerous people, they all died about the same time, like around the same time frame, the same period. Okay. So... When they looked into these grave sites and they found all these different bodies, they were somehow, and I didn't see how they were able to do this, but they were able to determine that while these people all died within a very short range, that the specific group of people who were not of this noble nobility, this high class, whatever you want to call it, pharaoh, whatever, they all died around the same time. And it, it's kind of scary how this happened i mean not to continue to be all doom and gloom but some of these people who were sacrificed actually viewed it as a welcomed end to their lives they accepted it and they actually revered it they were were willing and actively participating in this happening yeah i guess it's about my time yeah i mean I, i i lived a good life you know i got to be 13 so you know take me now lord shit and i guess i can only collect crocodile shit for so long <laughs> exactly nice 
These pharaohs were viewed as gods in their own right, kind of like what Ryan mentioned. And when they died, they became a separate form of a god. So they went from Horus when they were alive to Osiris when they entered the afterlife. And by being sacrificed, these servants raised their status in the afterlife and they actively welcomed it. Again, this wasn't always the case. I'm not going to sit here and say that every person, body, whatever you want to call it, who was sacrificed was a willing participant, but it definitely did happen. They were more than inclined to uh, partake in these festivities, if you will. And if that wasn't morbid enough, the method of the sacrifice is kind of scary. There was one of two ways they narrowed it down it was going to happen, and two totally different ends of the spectrum, if you ask me. One of them was just simply by strangulation. The way they were able to tell this is of the pink tang, ten, ting, tongue, tone, whatever, coloration, we'll go with that, <laughs> um, that formed around their teeth <laughs> when they found the bodies. I'm sorry. I, I thought it was going to be something like, you dead yet? Oh, okay, keep going. You dead yet? Harder. Yes. Harder. <laughs> uh, and the other way that they, they suspected that these people died was of cyanide poisoning, which to me, there's one very clear option between the two of them. They were spies. That I wonder if they had like little cyanide capsules in their teeth and they just kind of. Oh, I take the cyanide before the choking. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so why did these sacrifices, again, pun intended, die out? And the reason why was the emergence of these things, and I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to apologize in advance, of this thing called Shanti figures. That's how I'm saying it. That's how I'm going to go with. I'm sorry if it's wrong. Now the Spell it out loud for us. S-H-A-N-T-I. Okay, that's not too bad. I, I, I think that's reasonable. It's like a Shanti, R-I-P, but without the A. It's a Shandy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not a sea not a Shanty. Shout out. Assassin's Creed Black Flag, one of the greatest games of all time. What's wrong with you? Greg agrees with me. You're outnumbered here, Ryan. So why did these sacrifices actually die out and why did they stop doing them? Well, these Shanti figures were put in the tombs of these pharaohs and other high nobility classes because I don't want to sit here and say that it was just pharaohs that it happened to. There was these other more or less royalty members but didn't have the same status as a pharaoh. They weren't believed to be gods or anything like that in, in every case. But... These Shanti figures would provide them everything they needed in the afterlife from tending crops to other end of the spectrum, taking care of them as their servant. So they were they were a, a worker bee for more or less uh, of, a, of a term. And because of the Shanti figures being placed in the tomb, they then started to scale back all of these sacrifices and not needing all these people dying. Whoa, 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 whoa. This guy might have been a good servant for me. Just try not to kill him. Put one of the dolls in there instead. Yeah, that that's one way of looking at it. And another thing was that these these servants believed that they would serve the, their pharaoh, whoever they were serving in the afterlife, when their time came. That's so, fair. Yeah, so it kind of evolved into that process. So these figures, when they were put inside of the tombs, that's when they started doing less and less of these sacrifices. And they were just basically let them, letting them live out their lives until their time came, in which they would eventually move on into this afterlife and then serving them at that time. Now, I don't know if there was some kind of hierarchy struggle of status with these Shanti figures and these servants who eventually died or anything like that. But thinking that when these servants died, they also believed that because of the work that they did while they were alive and serving these pharaohs and these other noble figures, it was going to raise their status. So they weren't basically subjected to being servants in the afterlife it would it would kind of raise them and these servants also had servants of their owns their of their own excuse me in their own situations depending on what you know what class they were a part of what they were doing things like that it's the most literal pyramid scheme you can imagine yeah, I've, that, that's literally my next note that i was about to say it was a literal pyramid scheme of of servants um so yeah this actually it totally did happen and it was a real thing but it wasn't super common it was only for a very short time of about 200 years uh, during the egyptian stronghold of the world and, and when they, they ran everything and it wasn't always a bad thing for these people who were sacrificed some of them actually welcomed it so 
it's not like they were just taking these slaves and like, oh, they're slaves. They're gone, too. They revered it and they welcomed it. So it, it wasn't necessarily always a sad ending. Yeah. So it was almost more like servants than slaves in that sense. Exactly. I guess. So they, I would think that a servant is a much more applicable term than using the word slave. Yeah. Um, once again, not trying to offend anybody about right, that. That's right, just our right, interpretation right. of it from that sense. Exactly. So, yeah, uh, that, that is uh, slaves being buried with their pharaohs in a nutshell. All right. Rounding out this episode is going to be, you know, how could we do an ancient Egypt episode without talking about our one and only deformed boy? That would be King Tut. King Tut. Well, we're going to be, thank you for mentioning that. I think that was part of the thing that made him so famous nowadays. I absolutely believe it is. uh, Was Steve Martin. Uh, So I will tell you what initially made him famous, but we're going to be talking about Steve Martin or King Tut? King Tut. Oh. Uh, we're going to talk about whether King Tut was a sandwich. What? Whether he was inbred. Uh, oh, God. I hate you. Nice. So, King Tutankhamun lived from 1341 BCE to 1323 BCE. I like that pronunciation so much better. Died around, uh, what? Tutankhamun? Yeah, uh, Tutankhamun. Uh, he, di- uh, he died around 18 or 19 years old. Most people speculate about 19 years old specifically. And he ruled from 1332 to 1323 BCE, which is about age 9 to 19, uh, by most estimates. Now, why was this guy so famous? Why is he the only pharaoh that most people, not even a pharaoh, he wasn't a pharaoh, he was a king. This is, oh. he had a butt. Yeah, um, nice. so... Why would most people think that he was so famous or anything like that? Like, he actually, in most historical views, was kind of just a mediocre king. He didn't do anything extremely great. If anything, his father did something controversial, but not him. I would imagine it's because there was that whole thing of King Tut's tomb in recent memory. Yes, that's exactly it. So, I mean, you have Cleopatra, and then you have King Tut. And King Tut was uh, so famous because in 1922... Uh, two tomb raiders instead of, I'm not going to call them Egyptologists archeolo- at this point because they did not have very good standards or practices. Uh, their names were Howard Carter and Lord Carnivon found King Tut's tomb hmm. in nearly perfect condition. Like nearly you- untouched, like 3,000 different treasures were found in there. A full sarcophagus, a nearly completely intact body that they fucked up. And uh, that brought him to fame was because he was ex- in death King Tutankhamun was one of our most uh, valuable pieces of history that we could find to study ancient Egypt by how pristine everything was found. Can I ask a question? Yes. This is something that I've heard. He died of a broken leg? I will get to that. Yes. Um, So jump in a little bit ahead of me, but that's fine. Sorry. Sorry. Um, So initially people thought, and this also made him kind of um, famous, because it was an ancient murder mystery for the longest time. Who done it? Since 1922, because initial X-ray scans of King Tut's body in the 1960s suggested that he had skull fractures from being bludgeoned to death in the back of the head. Oh, an assassination! So they were trying to figure Scandal. out scandal. What did this little boy do to get hurt so badly? Um, and it turns out that it's not the case because when Carter and Carnivon tried to remove. Uh, Tut's affixed body to the coffin uh, that was affixed to the coffin, like the enamel like in embalming kind of like stuck him into the coffin, into the sarcophagus. Get in there, you little when shit. They, when they tried to pull it out, they partially dismembered the body. Oh. Yeah, pretty badly too. And this included parts of his upper vertebra that actually matched the fragments missing near his skull. So it uh-huh. wasn't a murder, it was a just body defilement. Um, and, and rule number one of archaeology, don't mess with what you're digging up. Yeah. I mean, once again, they, and also King Tut's tomb is where the whole like curse of the mummy came from. You yeah. know, the curse of King Tut's tomb, like, you know, all these crazy deaths that happened, which that'd be another funny, cur- fun, not funny, curses episode to go over within like history as opposed to movies. Oh, yeah. Like the, the guy's dog uh, barking who found it when he died and the lights flickering. All of them and, died yeah. pretty soon after. But I think it's mainly just due to uh, modern medicine not really kicking in at that point. So um, recent now. Well, let's see. Yeah, as you said, with King Tut having actually died from a leg fracture, yes, most recent studies have pretty much concluded that he died from an infection from a broken leg. Way less metal. Totally happens, but, you know, especially back then. I thought he died of a broken heart. (laughs) He broke his heart, then tried to jump off a cliff, broke his leg, 
and then after his life. It turns out King Tut fucks. He had two stillborn children with him in oh. his tomb from oh. one of his wives because they had wives and concubines back then. I thought that he died like you know like father like you know childless and such, but no, it turns out he did have progeny to some degree. Hmm. You know, um, I thought he actually was a lot younger. I thought he died around the age of thirteen for some reason. I just recently learned that he reached like full adulthood for the most part. The only reason I knew he wasn't that young is because Remy Malek, the guy who played Freddie Mercury in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, also played King Tut in Night at the Museum. So you based your perception of a historical figure (laughs) off of a Ben Stiller movie where Robin Williams comes alive as a little tiny general. He's not tiny. Owen Wilson's tiny. Oh, sorry. Tiny Owen Wilson. He's Teddy Roosevelt. Wow. So, uh, moving on from that. Uh, uh, wait, wait. We've, I've already discussed my love of national treasure. Are you telling me that that also was false? That Nicolas Cage did not steal the Declaration of Independence? Please tell me what you learned from Page Master as well. Page Master's amazing. I know it is. Okay, Josh is trying to do a little bit of uh, hand motion to me to suggest, do you remember that movie, Indian in the Cupboard? Yes, I know it's supposed to be Native American in the cupboard uh, at this point. Why are you playing with all the toys, huh? Why, why are you keeping all the toys? <laughs> it's never not funny. Uh, so, back on the tracks. Was King Tut inbred? Well, racial... Uh, not racial. <laughs> Keep it. Recent facial and body reconstruction depictions that, uh, made by computer-generated technology depict a very frail person with bowed legs, a bone problem, and uh, signs of malaria as well. Oh. Uh, and he was also not a looker by, I think, any, almost anyone's standards at the time. Have you seen Remy Malik? I mean, that's why I would say that Night of the Museum might... Wait, are you saying Remy Malik is not an attractive person? I am definitely saying that. I think he looks fine. <gasps> I mean, I'd still sleep with him, but that's just me. So, are you trying to say you only fuck people that you wouldn't find conventionally attractive? This oh isn't going to go well for this me, is, so I'm not going to answer this. Is this is just going to, yeah, this, this whole, I'm just watching this whole. You know what? Pick a corner. Pick a corner to back yourself into. I'll keep pushing you towards it. My wife's going to ask some very, very pertinent questions when she hears this. Love you, Lindsay. See, I said it before he did. Damn it. Ooh, got him. Uh, so uh, in the first DNA. I have a child. Okay, yes, we, we've established that one already. Um in the first DNA test of a mummy ever, really, which was done on King Tut, and it only happened recently. So he was he was the first DNA test in a mummy. Yeah. Cool. I uh, didn't know that. Scientists were able to confirm that Tutankhamun's father was indeed Akhenaten, the infamous king uh, known as the Sun King, that attempted to convert Egypt into monotheism, just like one sun got Ra. Uh, after he died, they quickly switched back to uh, polytheism and just said, that wasn't us. Let's roll that back real quick. Yes. Um, however, studies also contest that Akhenaten's chief wife, Nefertiti, was not Tut's mom. So that's the Mari Paviching of that. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, but rather, it was a lower concubine that also happened to be Akhenaten's sister. Uh, to double up on the incest... He was a bastard? He, he was a double-stack sandwich. No, he wasn't a bastard. Uh, kings could have had many wives. Oh, that's fair. They did marry pretty much a, a lot of women. I mean, especially of royalty, to make sure that they, they would not have an heir. It, it was top-wife thing, like yeah. multiple queens and such. Um, so it turns out that to double up on the incest, so I guess we would make this like a club sandwich at this point. Nice. Uh, scientists also confirmed that Akhenaten's parents were King Amenhotep III and his sister, Queen T.A. So if you want a, I mean, also, once again, incest was not an uncommon practice among royalty in almost any culture, just about like it was, they kept it very close knit. I mean, do look at the Targaryens. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, the Targaryens is the best thing to reference for that. It could have been, you know, English royalty. I'm sorry, would you rather the Lannisters? Fine, it's whatever. (laughs) Just everything has to be a Game of Thrones reference. Long story short, yes, King Tut was very much uh, an inbred child. And not only that, he's from multiple generations of it. And that also explains why he was bow-legged and had some issues. Um, It could contribute to it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the thing. Because, I mean, uh, well... Actually, yeah, you start seeing some birth defects from uh, 
you know, founders effect or inbredness right. after like the second or third generation. I thought the it was first more recent gener- than that. The first generation, they can usually get away with being relatively normal, especially with cousins. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah. brother and sister, it usually has to be a couple lines down. I'm not, uh, I'm not advocating incest here, <laughs> but I'm saying like to really see those effects and maybe yes, that could have potentially contributed to that. Yeah. Um, so that's this Egypt episode. Uh, Greg, do you want to round us out? Oh, okay. Actually, you know, let's do a whole bucket thing. Uh, once again, uh, starting off with Greg, yes, they worship cats in some sense. I'm back. Yeah, so they... Uh, thank you, Greg. <laughs> so, yes, they did worship cats in some sense. Uh, what was yours, Josh? Um, crocodile dung as a form of birth control. Absolutely true. Crocodile dung did. Uh, nice. Instead of... Oh, episode names. <laughs> you think that's a contraceptive? <laughs> I was waiting oh, for it. Oh, Lord. It's a contraceptive. Uh, <laughs> Paul Hogan was Egypt's best pharmacist. <laughs> he was having sex with the Fosters in his hand. Uh, did slaves build the pyramids? Uh, okay, let's start with did Egyptians did Jewish slaves build the pyramids? Probably, definitely not. Did slaves build the pyramids? Less, uh, even more likely not. So, and then yeah. uh, the slaves being uh, slaves being buried with their pharaohs. I mean, it did happen. It wasn't for a very long period of time, but it definitely did happen. Servants slash slaves, we'll yes. call it that. And then King Tut being inbred, defo. That was defo the case. Greg, now that you're here, would you like to round us out? No. <laughs> Damn. You can find us at rumorfliespodcast.com, at rumorflies on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash rumorflies, patreon.com slash rumorflies. Please consider contributing to the show. We have uh, awesome monthly bonus episodes, our lanyap segments, which are short little 10, 15-minute clips related to the episodes after and all kinds of other fun goodies. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or now Apple Podcasts, my apologies. That would be great. We love those reviews. We read every single one of them. And am I forgetting any platforms? I believe that's it. Okay, cool. Well, for this episode of From Flies, I'm Ryan. I am Josh. He's going to wait a while. Yes, he is. I'm Greg. Bring it home. Fucker. All, all right. right, bye.